If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Proverbs. Towards the middle of the Bible, the book of Proverbs. We're going to start in chapter 1. Brand new series we're starting this morning. Proverbs chapter 1, starting in verse 1 through verse 7. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity. To give prudence to the simple, to the young man, knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase learning. And a man of understanding will attain wise counsel, to understand a proverb and an enigma, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. This morning we're going to be looking at a book that so many people quote from, but it is very difficult to live. This is a book that's unlike many other books that we do studies in. When you're working through a narrative, when you're working through apocalyptic literature, you're going to be taking a totally different approach than we do here with these wise sayings in Proverbs. We're going to be looking at the background of Solomon a little bit. We're going to be talking about, number one, the purpose in verses one through six, and number two, the proposition in verse seven. So number one, the purpose, verses one through six. Let's read this again. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, to the young man, knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase learning, and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. To understand a proverb and an enigma, the words of the wise and the riddles. These nuggets of truth are written down for us by none other than King Solomon, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And here are some quick facts that some of us may know, some of us are not so familiar with. Solomon himself was born out of a messy situation with David and Bathsheba. God struck the child originally conceived in adultery and Solomon was the child that came right after. In fact, in 2 Samuel 12, 24, you read that the Lord loved him. That means that God had a purpose for Solomon from birth. And one of these purposes is to give us the book of Proverbs. Solomon was known for his wisdom, as that is what he asked God for in 1 Kings chapter 3. And he was given even more, including great wealth. If entrepreneurs really want to learn from someone, Solomon would be their guy. Solomon, with all his wisdom, though, lived as a fool at times, having 700 wives and 300 concubines, which caused him to walk away from God. It is more than likely that he wrote these Proverbs in the middle years of his life, with Ecclesiastes being written at the end of his life. Solomon built the first great temple in Jerusalem, which was unfortunately taken down by the Babylonians. And there has never been a temple built like that since. Solomon, I don't know if you know this, is still considered a great prophet in Judaism. 
as well as Islam. I don't know how many of you are aware of that. Solomon also, for those of you that are a collector of things, Solomon was a major collector of horses. They were his prized possession, as we read in 1 Kings chapter 10. So those of you that wa you know, collect watches and different things, Solomon collected horses. That's what he had stashed away. Solomon was also great at making deals on behalf of his people. Others would pay just to see him. You ever seen those special speaker? $5,000 to this amazing conference or a Grant Cardone, right? Solomon had him in spades. Solomon, though having failed so much in his life, has always been revered and respected because he always came back to the practical application of knowledge, which is wisdom, the skill to live it out. The purpose here in this text is essentially spelled out in these verses. Number one, to teach people how to live, which is wisdom, with instruction. Verses two through three. Number two, develop discernment or good judgment for the future. It's easy to look back at the past, right? To go, hey, I saw what happened, that wasn't a good idea. But to have wisdom is to look into the future and see what's coming and adjust accordingly. And number three, continue growing in our understanding and application, solving the riddles or puzzles of this life, if you will. You ever find some things puzzling in this life to work through? Things that you thought were pretty easy to deal with, and you're like, man, this is a lot harder than it looks. One of those for me was parenting. I was like, ah, what is there to this parenting idea? And then I realized, man, a lot more to it than I thought. So Solomon gives us this ability to work through these things in this book. Essentially, when we see the word wisdom, we mean the skill to live this life. If you want, in basic terms, the idea of wisdom is skill. And here's the truth, not everyone has the skill. Because a lot of people are living as fools in this world. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. The skill is a heavenly skill and goes beyond mere common sense, which frankly isn't so common today, right? Simply having knowledge, knowing the facts, is not enough, believer. A lot of people know the stuff. A lot of people know what their marriage should look like. A lot of people know how their kids should turn out. A lot of people know what they should be doing with their money. But do we act on it? Do we do what scripture tells us? Knowing the facts is not enough. That's not wisdom. Wisdom is the ability to take those in a skillful manner and apply them to our lives. In fact, Spurgeon says this, wisdom is the right use of knowledge. To know is not to be wise. Many men know a great deal and are all the greater fools for it. There is no fool so great a fool as a knowing fool. But to know how to use knowledge is to have wisdom. The goal for us is not to be knowing fools. The goal for us is to truly live in wisdom. Wearsby says this, it is not enough simply to be educated and have knowledge, as important as education is. We also need wisdom, which is the ability to use knowledge. Wise men and women have the competence to grasp the meaning of a situation 
and understand what to do and how to do it in the right way at the right time. The pages of history are filled with the names of brilliant and gifted people who were smart enough to become rich and famous, but not wise enough to make a successful and satisfying life. Before his death, one of the world's richest men said that he would have given all his wealth to make one of his six marriages succeed. It's one thing to make a living, but quite something else to make a life. You see, the truth is a lot of people know what they would like as an end result. They're not willing to do the work it takes. There are helpful definitions that Constable brings to the table regarding the words used in the text, and if you'd like me to share them with you later, I can. I'm just going to go through them briefly. For the word wisdom in Psalm 1, 2a, meaning is skillfulness, or Proverbs, I believe. Skillfulness. Instruction, meaning child training. For understanding, the word understanding, the idea there is discernment. For righteousness, the idea there is right behavior, right living. For justice, that means making correct decisions without a bias. Equity, the idea there is moral integrity. Prudence, it's lacking today, sensibility in practical matters. There's a lot of people that are very learned and they don't know how to do the basics. And discretion, which is thoughtfulness. All of these areas are areas that we need to develop in. But the main drive today is wisdom. To understand what that is. What does it look like? Unfortunately, so many of us know so much. But we're frankly still children in how we apply those things, aren't we? Like you ever tell your children over and over, I've already told you. This is what I want. How many times do I have to tell you, stop doing that? I want you to pause for a moment. Think of how God must see us. Us adults that have been walking with him for some time still do the same thing, the things we ought not to. Or the things that we tell God we're going to do, we don't do. Maybe that's why God calls us children. We still keep acting like it, right? We certainly act the part. Think of it, if you can, just pause for a moment and think about it. When was the last time you threw your own personal self-pity party? That happened just last night, last week? Maybe you got angry over something ridiculous? Parents, have you ever shocked your kids by getting upset over something that seemed pretty dumb when you look back at it? Like, your kids ever look at you like, what happened to mom or dad? Control yourself. It's amazing how many things we tell our kids, but we ourselves do them on a grander scale. And you know what's worse? Adults give themselves passes for the very things they wouldn't tolerate in their own children. How dare you do that? Um, Mom, Dad, you did the same thing. I learned it from you. You see, the truth is, some of us knew better not to say certain things, but we just wanted to be real at the moment, right? And all of it came out. All of the things we shouldn't have said came out during that time. Because the truth is this, 
All of this starts right at the foundation. The reason we don't respond in wisdom is because we don't have the foundation properly set in our own lives. Number two, the proposition, verse seven. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. You see, the wise and the fool at odds is probably one of the largest and most important themes in not just the book of Proverbs, but throughout Scripture. This theme entwines with the rest of the themes that we, be, we will be studying and discussing in Proverbs. But this is a good foundation to start on. The Bible is very clear on the difference between the wise and the foolish. I don't believe that a lot of Christians know the difference sometimes because they don't know the word of God. They think that their own sense prevails. Think of beginning here as more foundation rather than simply the start. So when he's saying the beginning of knowledge, that is the foundation, if you will. Think of it that way. Here are two foundations which these are laid on. Number one, this is an important fact. The wise base their foundation off the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord equates to the pursuit of holiness. Meaning, here's what God says, that's what I really want to do. That's what I'm striving for. Proverbs 1, 7, first part. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's the foundation for it. In fact, it doesn't even say what some of us would think. It doesn't say the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom. It doesn't even say that. It's the beginning of what? Knowledge. You don't know what you think you know if you don't know God. Because if you know God, you really will understand and know what you ought to and then be able to apply it. Those that assume they have knowledge that doesn't come from God don't have knowledge. They're living fools assuming they have knowledge and wisdom. Number two, the fool bases their foundation on not fearing the Lord or even acknowledging his existence. The opposite of pursuing holiness is living a carnal, sinful lifestyle defined by one's own standards. And a lot of Christians walking around today in modern-day America are living fools. Proclaiming to know God, but living opposed to him. Proverbs 1, the, the second half of verse 7. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. And then we read in Psalm 14, 1 through 3. Look what it says. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek God. They have all turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is none who does good. No, not one. So throw your theology away that says people are good. Because when you claim that, you're going against what Scripture clearly says. The default position for every man on this earth is not good and foolish to start. 
So how does the fear of the Lord start and ultimately look like in the life of a believer to make us wise? For some of us, it starts from our youth. For others, it takes a long time to develop. But either way, we need someone to come alongside us to put us on the right track of thinking for, Lord willing, the rest of our lives. It is up to us to receive it and search for it like fine gold and silver. We'll talk about that as we work through the book of Proverbs. There are many ways that people assume that they get wisdom. But the best way is from God's word itself and praying about it before reading it. God says, ask. And the context there in James is asking for wisdom to deal with life's difficult circumstances. I don't know if you need wisdom during difficult circumstances. I think that's the time you definitely need it. Because you can make foolish choices during that time. Another good way is from righteous men and women of the church body who God has already worked through, already worked through in their lives. Some of us are not willing to hear someone else's story on things. We're like, listen, I'm going to learn through it myself. I'm going to go through it myself. The school of hard knocks, that's the best way for me. How about you pause and learn from someone else's mistakes? How about you learn from someone else's struggle with sin? How about you stop for a moment and go, you know what? I'm being a fool and not listening. To, to, to put it plainly, God inspired the, this book right here through a guy that was pretty messed up. Solomon. Wise but foolish in many ways. It's important for us to make sure that the people we are asking are actually wise. And we're going to qualify that in a moment. And they're good examples of the faith and not just people we know that we assume that they have that title. You ever give people a pass that you know well, even though you probably wouldn't give someone else that pass? I think we've all done it, right? We've shown a little bias towards somebody. Well, that's what Scripture talks about here in wisdom. Scripture tells us directly that wisdom means that you're not going to show bias. There's not going to be partiality. You're going to have justice in the way that you deal with others. In fact, Proverbs 13, 20 says, He that walks with wise men shall be wise, but the companion of fools shall be destroyed. The word for fear in the Bible means to show reverence by showing respect and honor for God and his greatness, for God and his intensity, if you will, his importance in life. I struggle, and I'm going to be transparent for a moment. I struggle, I struggle singing as the deer. And I hope I'm making myself a little more clear and, and not saying something that is misconstrued. But whenever that phrase, you alone are my heart's desire, comes up, I don't want to sing a line. I don't want to sing a line. Because it's hard to say in my life how many times that's been true. Maybe for David it's more often than me, that's for sure. If we truly fear the Lord, 
and view him through a telescope instead of a microscope, we see how great he is. Then every decision we make should be based off of that fear of the Lord, that reverential awe that I want to please my Heavenly Father to keep us from sinning against him and causing us shame and grief in this life, which is essentially what the book of Proverbs is there for, to say, if you do these things, it's going to hurt you. If you don't do these things, it's going to help you. Philippians 2, 12 through 13. Listen to what Paul says. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. You want to live a life that pleases God? you ought to have a reverential fear for him. Your view of God is going to directly tie into your lifestyle. Those are not separate concepts. You can't say, I believe God is like this, and I live something else, and those are somehow completely separated. What you believe is what you practice in your life. If I believe that God's called me to love my family the way he has, then I'm going to live that way. If God has called me to be a steward of his money, I'm going to live that way. The driving force for us wanting to be wise is upon another who has done all that he has to for us, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. For what Christ has done for us on the cross by being obedient to the Father, his blood washed away our sins. If we truly believe the Bible and have faith, then the work should follow to be like Christ. Because the truth is, as everybody says, Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived. No, Jesus was the wisest man that ever lived. And no, it's not a cop-out statement. It's the truth. In him are all the riches of God. Jesus was the greatest example for us to live by. When we pursue to be like Christ, we are literally doing honor, showing honor to God and reverencing him. By being wise, holy, and obediently fearful of him. We don't want to yield ourselves over to unrighteousness again like we did when we were unregenerate and ignorant because we were foolish and we didn't know better. The worst thing is Christians know better and they still live as fools. What is important to understand though and this is a, an important point that I really want to drive home this morning, is that there are two kinds of wisdom. There is earthly, demonic wisdom, and there is heavenly, godly wisdom. In fact, James spells that out for us in James chapter 3. We're going to be reading from the New Living Translation because I think it really kind of conveys the idea well. James 3, 13 through 18, here's what it says. If you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with a humility that comes from wisdom. But if you are bitterly jealous and there is a selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. 
For whatever, wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. So as you read these verses, as you ask yourself this question, which wisdom are you currently operating under? Look at your last week. Would you say that your life was classified by earthly, God forbid, demonic wisdom, or heavenly or godly wisdom? How many of us, if we're to be honest, look back at this last week and go, you know what? Yeah, there was a lot of jealousy. <laughs> Bitter jealousy going on behind the scenes. I was looking out for me. Selfish ambition. I was number one. How many of us could say, before God, I really pursued Him to be pure, to yield to others? I know America's full of people that want their rights. I get it. Totally understand that. I'm glad I live in this country. But when you gave it to Christ, you surrendered your rights to Him. Why do so many Christians think they have the right to still sin? You don't. Sin is no longer your master. You're essentially saying, I want to get back in the cage. Let me go serve my master sin again and get enslaved again. Put the chains back on me. So are you operating under earthly wisdom or heavenly wisdom? Earthly demonic wisdom is a wisdom that worships self and disregards God. Think of a person that is full of themselves and their desires, jealous of others and longing for self-exaltation, which is one of the reasons why whenever a Christian says, God just wants me to be happy, what they're essentially saying is, God just wants me to live for me. I'm the most important thing. Heavenly or godly wisdom is the wisdom that looks out for what God would want. And what are these things that we see? Well, at the expense of self-indulgence, it's willing to give up of itself. Whenever we quote 1 Corinthians 13, and it happens in a lot of weddings, right? Love suffers long and is kind, does not envy, does not boast, does not, you know, deem itself more important, right? Does not think of its own, but for others' sake, right? Is that the wisdom that we are operating under? Are we willing to yield to others? Or is it me first, we'll get to you later? Are we merciful? It's shocking how many Christians lack mercy that God gives them. We're some of the most judgmental people sometimes. Like so many of us forget we have quite a past that God's forgiven us of. And we find the next guy that does the same thing we used to do and go, how dare you do that? 
Here's what this piece that God calls for really should strive for, we should strive for in our lives for. To make peace with God means that we also need to make peace with one another. Because those are connected. So many people are like, I got all these problems with people in the church and all this other stuff, but I'm good with God. It doesn't work that way. You're part of the same family. Let's put it this way. If I were to be practical and give you something that some of you would be shocked by, God would call us in for a counseling session right now if he could. You're like, listen, you got to work this out. Like, you have this problem with this believer, you need to work it out with them. This stewing over it, I don't want to deal with them anymore, I don't want to talk to them anymore, I want them out of my life entirely, that's not godly. Wisdom calls us to make peace with others. It's not full of ego. Heavenly wisdom, believer, only comes from time spent in the word of God and in prayer. If you're trying to find it in a magazine, I don't care if it's Christianity today, you're looking in the wrong places. John Newton says this, the chief means for attaining wisdom and suitable gifts for the ministry are the holy scriptures and prayer. You see, when you have exercised this heavenly wisdom enough, you'll be able to use discernment for the future. It's a muscle that you work on in your life. The difficult things that come up that you're not sure how to deal with because it's a completely new thing to deal with, you'll be able to rely on what God has shown you in the past in how to possibly pivot to this next thing that you have to do. But if you're not in his word, you're not connected to his word, the people of God, you will literally be walking around thinking you're wise, but really being a fool. As scripture says, we are wise in our own eyes. Discernment in the Bible means that you have understanding. You consider, you're prudent, you perceive, regard, instruct. Using discernment is not the same as being judgmental, by the way. A lot of people like to mix those two words. They're not the same thing. If you're discerning that there's a dangerous person around your kids, that's not judging them, by the way. That's not judging them in the way that we think, condemning. That's judging in the right way, using discernment. Don't let people throw you off by saying, don't judge people. God tells you to judge things all the time. It's a matter of what we mean by that. Definitions matter. Condemning is wrong at all times. If I have a dangerous person that's around my kids and I warn them about it, that is good, using good discernment and people can call that judgment all they want. That discretion needs to be there. In fact, the book of Proverbs has Solomon do that with his son multiple times. Hey, son, you see that woman? Stay away. How dare you judge that woman? That's today's culture. How dare you? You don't know her heart. See the way she looks? Pretty obvious. Not really a God-fearing woman. What is, Solomon goes a step further and says, her feet lead to hell. Wouldn't go well for a lot of people today preaching. Discernment uses many factors to be able to make a wise call on any situation. It's like looking at a 3D image and examining it from all angles. Have you ever seen a 3D image? Have you ever like, like actually walked around an actual 
physical 3D image that someone's actually put out there. Anybody, any of you seen a 3D printer? Those are pretty neat. It's essentially using enough discernment in your life to say, you know what, I see it from all sides as best as I can here. I'm not just seeing the side I like to see. I'm going to see it from every angle possible before I make this decision. This person that uses wisdom and discernment thinks before he speaks or acts. So if we kind of know what it looks like to be biblically wise, what does it look like to be a biblical fool, if you will? Well, number one, the word fool in the biblical definition is pretty straightforward. You really don't need to look it up. You probably know. Other words for it mean stupid, dullard, simpleton, arrogant, silly. That's what the word means. The one who despises wisdom. One who mocks when guilty. You ever seen people like that? They're caught and they mock the fact that they were caught. Because they think they can get away with it. I think we see that very visibly in our politicians, right? They're caught in a lie. That's not really what I meant. Right? Like they always have a way out. Caught in the lie. I did not sleep with that woman. Yeah, you did. It's the definition of is, is. Right? Yeah, we have to go there. Right? We always got to do that. That's what a fool does. It's the one who is quarrelsome. One that's always picking a fight with other people. That's a fool. You see people in the church that want to pick fights with others all the time? That's a fool. Doesn't matter what church they go to. Person that is licentious, meaning this person just has no boundaries in their life. That's a fool. I get to do whatever I want. After all, grace. Those are Christians that are living fools. That are abusing the grace of God. It's amazing that God has let them live as long as they have sometimes. And truth is, I'm shocked at times that God has allowed me to wake up in the morning. So if we do any of these things at any point of time, we are being fools in the eyes of God. And probably <laughs> fools to the people around us. It's important to pay attention to how we actually present ourselves to people. All of this comes from a carnal mindset instead of a spiritual one led by the Holy Spirit, if we're fools. In fact, fools also don't use common sense. They don't think for themselves in their daily decisions, thus making them gullible to things around them and easily manipulated by their emotions. You saw this played out so much during the pandemic, it's not even funny. How easily people were manipulated to hate their family members. Like, their family member never made the vaccine in the lab. We're blaming them for it. Might want to use some logic here, guys. We went after people for all the wrong reasons because they told us to. By the way, there are two kinds of fools in the Bible. Number one, the non-believing fool. The one who does not worship God, doesn't care for him, denies that he really exists. Worships the creation instead of the creator. They actually think they're smart because they're full of worldly wisdom and mock at the things of God. This whole waiting till marriage thing, Christians are stupid about that. That's that kind of fool. Like, don't you need to test drive a car? Humans, cars, totally different things. I want to start with that one. 
They mock at the things of God and consider it foolishness themselves. There's also the believing fool. This is a person that has genuine faith, has knowledge of the one true God, but doesn't apply the things that he knows in this life. They're lazy in their walk with Christ by not reading, praying, meditating on the things of God. In fact, those things are very secondary to them, if ever a priority. They may go to church once a week thinking they have all that they need to give to God and to please Him somehow. You know, it's my uh, conscience thing. Yep, check that off, feel a little better about myself. Get back to business tomorrow. Monday morning's here, back to what I want to do. And I go back to church on Sunday to quote-unquote repent, walk the aisle, make it right, only to go back and do the same thing on Monday. That's the biblical fool that we're talking about here, the believing fool. The biggest problem with the foolish believer is that there's probably no difference between them and the people of this world. Because they don't take God and his word seriously enough and are unaware of being carnal, which is a dangerous thing. There are many believers that if you were to tell them, hey, God is not okay with what you're doing here, they would not just push back, they would say God approves of this sinful behavior. That's what we've gotten to as a society, where literally wrong is right to people that call themselves Christians today. We have rainbow flags at churches all over New England, proclaiming that that's what God would be okay with, and promoting it as normal. When guys, God is vehemently opposed to that, and they are fools. At the end of the day, there's practically no discernible difference between the two fools sometimes. Because neither of them fear the Lord in their daily lives. So believer, it's one thing for you and I to go, you know what? I love God. I love his people. I love his word. It's another thing to live like he really exists and it matters to you. That when you're around people, it's for the glory of God. The very basic things you and I do, Paul tells us clearly in Corinthians, right? Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. A game of cornhole can be done for the glory of God. As dumb as it sounds to a lot of people. And there's some hyper-spiritual jocks that think that's stupid. Oh, well, we need to get in the Bible all the time. What are we doing playing cornhole? That's not godly. Yes, it is. It can be done for the glory of God. If Paul can make that statement, you can't agree with it, you're not biblical. Whether you eat or drink, Jesus had food all the time with the people that he taught. Why is it that we make up our own rules now? This is where legalism leads so many people astray. Let's add some rules that aren't really in the Bible, make them sound good. And believer, be careful of this. And I think this is something I fall into myself in a struggle. Just because you have a different preference than somebody doesn't make their sinful automatically. Some things are preferences, and they can be preferences. It's really okay. You may like country. They might not. It's really okay. They may like Lauren Daigle. You may not. That's a whole other debate. But point is, you have to. You have to take to heart what Scripture says. Because fools care only for their own take on things. Be careful. 
Ask yourself when you're working through some of those more difficult things, am I being consistent to the word of God or am I just being true to myself, which is really a worldly philosophy? How many of us have bought into, I just need to be real, so I'm going to do what I want, and then retwisted it to fit it back into the word of God somehow? All right, God is okay with me doing this. Let me find a verse. Let me find a verse that says it's okay. That's not how it's supposed to work. You're supposed to start with the word of God and out of that draw your principles. Unfortunately, biblical fools think they know better than other godly influences, which is one of the reasons why biblical fools, when they're living in foolishness, when a godly person comes up to them and says, hey, you know what, brother or sister, you're really going the wrong way, they reject it outright. What's even worse is they'll start picking apart the person that's trying to help them. Well, I know what you used to be like, right? Like, just unload. The person's just trying to help you. They're really not out to get you. That is why so many Christian fools today proclaiming things God is for when he is explicitly against them have joined forces with the demonic realm. It isn't just a counter-argument. They joined forces with Satan himself in opposing the things of God. It's that serious. It's not a neutral territory. While, while trying to proclaim that that is what God is for, it astounds me today how many sermons I've listened to, and I really have done my homework on this. I went and downloaded every preacher around here. I wanted to see what people were preaching around here. I'm going to be honest, I did this for myself as a pastor. It blew me away. How many will not touch certain sins at all? I've never heard a sermon on certain sins at all from their pulpit, ever. Like, not once is that one mentioned. It's always the same ones, and no offense to those of you that struggle, because I do too, it's always anxiety, my identity. Very few are dealing with transgenderism today, homosexuality, adultery, divorce, for unbiblical reasons. This is what we've come to as a church today where we are proclaiming to speak for God but by eliminating certain things that he actually says and reinterpreting it to our own methods. You see, the truth is, fools stay as carnal baby believers who stay on the milk and don't grow in the learning God's word, while the wise grow in doctrine to be more mature and spiritually minded in their walk with God. The result of foolish living is destruction in this life and possible utter ruin in the next if a person does not know Christ. There is a reason that James goes after the double-minded man just as much as he does in writing to believers trying to play both sides. There needs to be a reverential fear for God that not only informs our heads but moves our hearts, believers. You and I know better, but do we live what we know? It should come out in the following ways. The way we speak to others. Is it out of personal venting frustration, or do we have an understanding? The way that we work. Is it simply to get a paycheck, or to please the Lord because he's worthy? Even if our boss isn't what we want. The way that we love our families, 
It's more than simply saying something nice. We ought to deeply care for our spouse and children because God cares for us. The doctrines that we embrace are to be lived out practically. Believer, we don't worry about the future because God is in control. But I dare say sometimes in battling anxiety, we're not dealing with other sins that cause that anxiety. There's a lot of people that want God to fix the anxiety when they've sinned and they don't want to deal with the sin they caused. You're going to be anxious when you don't want to be found out about something you shouldn't have done. You ever had that happen as a child? You've done something you shouldn't have? You were more afraid of getting caught after the fact. Unfortunately, that bleeds into adulthood. A lot of people are anxious, worried, because they have things that they haven't dealt with in the past, and it keeps creeping up on them. Some of us worry about the future. Some of us worry in the present. And a lot of that depends on what really is going on behind that worry. Some of it is we've lacked sleep. That's cause of worry for a lot of us. But I think we need to do an honest diagnosis sometimes rather than just assuming, oh, I have anxiety, God, take it away. When maybe there's some things he's trying to point out and you're like, I don't want to deal with that. You ever been around people that really, like, when you're around them long enough, you become just as negative as they are? Like, you literally see the world the way they do now. It's a very dangerous thing. Very dangerous thing. When we fall into the world's wisdom, thinking we are wise, we are fools. We repent and turn back to God's word and his ways if we are to live wise. It becomes more than simply learning more about God. It's desiring to be more like him in every way. If your goal is to come to church to hear something good that only encourages your heart and there's nothing there that really stirs you to act in battling sin in your life, then you're coming for the wrong reason. Because if you read any of the Apostle Paul, you'll see that over and over he says, nothing in my flesh is good before God. I beat my flesh into submission. Meaning, he is battling his own personal sin. It's not a positive, encouraging Caleb sermon from Paul. It's not. It's desiring to be more like God in every way. So in conclusion, church, simple question, but I sincerely want you to think through this. Is God your source of wisdom? Is God your source of wisdom? Most of us would like to say that we are wise, but the question boils down to which wisdom are we talking about? Heavenly godly wisdom or earthly demonic wisdom? If we are wise in the world's eyes, then we are fools before God. There's no way to get around that. In fact, scripture, we talked about this recently. If you're an enemy of God, you're a friend of the world, right? If you're a friend of the world, you're an enemy of God. By default, that's the position. So many Christians try to play both. Like, I really want to be in the family of God, but I really like my worldly friends. I'm trying to put my feet in both places. And you really can't do that. You may not know God today. You may be watching this that needs to be your first step. Actually come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. To come before him as a sinner, 
knowing that he died, was buried, and rose again the third day to offer you salvation and pay for your penalty of sin. In fact, the wisest thing that you can do is to receive him today. The foolish thing would be to act like he doesn't exist and put it off till tomorrow. You may be a child of God, but you've been walking as a fool, indulging the flesh, living carnally, selfishly, angry with God and others, thinking it's best to figure it out on your own. You know better than everybody else what God would want when you don't even touch the Bible. When you and I live in jealousy over what others have, we're living as fools, forgetting that Christ for our sakes became poor, and we have an inheritance that's still waiting for us. Believer, there's an inheritance waiting for all believers. It's reserved in heaven for you. There's a difference between that and rewards. A lot of people blend the two. They're not the same thing. An inheritance can't be taken away. Rewards can be. We're fools for thinking that it's about what we have here instead of what we have waiting us. If you're living for this life, you are biblically a fool. It is not enough for you and I to know what right wisdom calls on us to act. We need to act in the way that God would desire. God is not impressed with how much you don't care to do about what you already know. He rewards the faithful that are more than simply hearing the word, but they are doing the word. In fact, Jesus himself makes this statement, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. J.I. Packer, as we close, said this, not until we have become humble and teachable, standing in awe of God's holiness and sovereignty, acknowledging our own littleness, distrusting our own thoughts, and willing to have our minds turned upside down, can divine wisdom become ours. Mm -hmm.